0: This is KMTT, Tuesday, Parashat HaShavua, will be delivered by Rav Alex Israel. In this week's Parashat of Bashalach, the drama of Yitziat Mitzrayim comes to a crescendo. Uh, we watch as HaKadosh Baruch Hu unleashes his incredible power, his overwhelming force against the army of the Egyptians as they drown in the sea. As far as Am Yisrael is concerned, only yesterday they were staring death in the face for a dark and fearful night. The Egyptian army was camped behind them, the sea lay before them and there was nowhere to go. And then suddenly, suddenly out of death comes salvation and uh, a miracle occurs. The sea splits and Am Yisrael crossed the sea on dry land. And we all know that Sukim by Yeruha Amet Hashem, the Aminu of Moshe Avdo, the people, they feel like they, they have actually experienced HaKadosh Baruch Hu in such a palpable way that they burst into song. Amisrael celebrates their, uh, the defeat of their foes, of their enemies, of their taskmasters, of their oppressors. And as they watch, Hakadosh Baruch Hu saves them in front of their eyes. Quite an amazing scene. However, as we progress through the parsha, Amisrael seem to sing a very, very different song. We hear, time after time, a litany of complaints, a series of tulunot. <speaking in Hebrew> The people cry out to Moshe and they say, What shall we drink? Or, for example, And they say, Couldn't you give us our death in the hands of God in the land of Egypt when we sit on the flesh pots, when we ate plentiful bread, because you've taken us out to this wilderness, to kill us and our whole community with, with, with famine, or rather, with hunger. Time after time, the people seem to complain, whether it's for water, whether it's for food. Um, the people complaining and murmuring, and one wonders how we're meant to relate to this transition. I'm Israel in one moment, singing and rejoicing so believing in God, and the next minute they turn around and say, Hayesha Bekir is God amongst us or not? They're murmuring, they're complaining, they seem to be a people of little faith. How are we to relate to the behavior of B'nai Israel in Parashat B'Shalach? One other theme which I think is important to uh, dwell on is not just the transition from rejoicing to complaining, but maybe something else. And here let me quote a, a Midrash, an interesting Midrash, um, which relates to the Psukim immediately after the Yamsuf. This is a Midrash from the Tanchuma, and it says, moshe The Hebrew is strange. It's not, yisrael, and Israel traveled, but rather, And, Moshe caused Israel to set forth from the Yamsuf. And here's what the Midrash says. What does it mean, Vayasa Moshe? Moshe caused Am Yisrael to set forth. Shehesiyam b'alkorf ham, cham, shelo But Moshe had to drag B'nei Yisrael away from there, against their desire. Kitzad? Why? And the Midrash explains, When Amisra left Egypt, Pharaoh pursued them with his massive army, horses, chariots, and they were adorned and decorated with jewels and precious stones. And he says, When they came to the sea and God drowned them, his army, um, the army of Mithraim had entered the sea, decorated and adorned with jewels and precious stones. But when God submerged the Egyptians, the jewels flowed into the water and washed up on the seashore. Am Israel went down to the water every day and they wanted to take the jewels and they didn't want to leave. And when Moshe saw this and realized they weren't going to go anywhere, Moshe forced them to leave the sea, his Bal Balkorcham. This is a remarkable Midrash. Uh, of course, I, I don't really see any basis in the text for this beyond the immediate phrase, but, uh, what this midrash seems to tap into is the strange and perplexing attraction of B'nai Israel for their Egyptian lifestyle. I quoted the psukim before, where they talk about their flesh pots and they talk about the fact that they had so much bread in Egypt and they keep on saying, why can't we go back to Egypt? In Egypt, things were much better. This, of course, being a constant complaint throughout the midbar years. Our Israel seems to ha- seem to have a strange attraction um, to Mitzrayim, a a stranger desire to return to the the land of slavery, and it is difficult to understand what exactly. Um, to make of this is this in some way some sort of uh, identification with their captors is this some sort of uh, what what exactly are we meant to make of this desire so I'd like to begin by quoting uh, the Ibn Ezra here the Ibn Ezra says the Ibn Ezra is wondering when Am Yisrael are at the Yamsuf and they're confronted by the huge Egyptian army we all experience their fear with them. They're quaking. They're, they, they they hear the thunder of the horses approaching them. And Am Yisrael are terrified. They turn around to Moshe and they complain. And uh, they say, once again, What? There aren't enough graves in Egypt? You've come to kill us here. What? What's the whole point of coming here? We're all going to die. And the Ibn Ezra says, I don't get it, says the Ibn Ezra. Am Yisrael are also a large group. They have 600,000 people. Maybe we recall the opening lines of the parasha. They have come out armed. They have come out uh, with weapons. Why don't they stand and fight for their lives, for their children? And the, the Ibn Ezra says, HaTshuva Ki Hayu Adonim Egypt were the masters of Israel. This exodus generation were accustomed from the youngest age to suffer and to submit to the yoke of their Egyptian oppressors. Their spirit was broken. How could they stand up and fight their masters? That is why Moshe has to tell them when they're facing these oppressors at the Yom Suf, Stand back and watch the salvation of God, what he's going to do to you today. And take a look at the Ramban, On these comments where he says we must never ever see egypt once again as our oppressors as our protectorates we're not allowed to look at egypt as a sort of mother figure or father figure somebody who's going to give us uh, our food and our provisions no 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 we have to break our ties with egypt we've got to stop seeing them not only as our masters but as our providers we have to break our ties with egypt it is very very important This is the situation, and maybe this explains exactly why they're yearning back for Egypt all the time. Egypt has provided everything for them, and they cannot break their ties with Egypt. And maybe this explains that Ibanez is also going to the root of their immaturity. Am Israel cannot do things by themselves. The minute they experience fear, they want to go back to an environment in which they are given orders every day in which they get up in the morning and they know exactly how many bricks they have to build. And this sense of freedom is bewildering. So many options. They don't know exactly how to deal with the situation of unstructured living in the Midbar. Parshat B'Shalach is divided into two. Uh, The Psukim divide exactly down the middle where the first section begins with Amisrael marching out of Egypt and ends with the end of Shirat Hayam, the dancing, the singing, the celebration. But we then move into a series of stories, stories which represent a crisis and then the solution of those crises. It's actually four stories, as I mentioned. Let me list them out. The first is about water in a place called Mara, where the water is bitter. And uh, Hashem tells Moshe to throw the wood into the water or a tree into the water which will sweeten the waters. The second is the case of the necessity for food which is provided by the man. The third story is the story of Masam Riva. Once again the people are thirsty and this is where Moshe hits the rock. And the last story is the story of Amalek at the end of the parasha where we are attacked by the nation of Amalek in the desert, and we have to fight for our lives in order to be saved. Of course, the famous scene there is Moshe with his hands in the air, um, and we will talk more about this scene in a few minutes. Why are we hearing all these stories, and is the focus on the complaints, or is the focus on something else? And we're going to try and spend our time today analysing these stories. Let me just... Uh, start with the first of them, which will already set out the perspective that I'd like to, to show for all of these different stories. Let's begin and read a few of the lines. Moshe caused Israel to set out from the Amsof and they went to the wilderness of Shor. They travelled three days and they found no water. They come to Mara. They could not drink the water from Mara because, as the name Mara indicates, they were bitter. Mara. That's how it got its name. So the people cried out to Moshe or grumbled against Moshe, saying, "What shall we drink?" Moshe cried to God, Vayorehu Hashem Eitz. And God showed him a tree. Vayashlechel ha-maiim, he threw it into the water, of teku ha and the waters became sweetened. Sham sam lochok u-mishpat v'sham There he set for them a statute and a judgment, and there he put them to the test. Vayomerim tshamuat yishma l'kol Hashem alokecha v'yashara be'inav ta'aseh. He said, if you listen to the voice of the Lord your God, Doing what is upright in his sight, giving ear to his commandments and keeping all his laws, then I will not bring on you any of the diseases that I brought upon Egypt, for I am the Lord your healer. And when we read this story, um, a few things need to be pointed out. The first question maybe we should ask ourselves is, were the people wrong for asking for water? After all, three days in the midbar three days they've been walking walking in the desert we know that when we go on a tiyol, um in the Midbar Yehuda or somewhere near the Dead Sea we tell everybody to take four litres of water just for a day's hiking and here the people have been travelling for three days and they have not yet found water one wonders how the, the people can be particularly faulted at their desire to know what exactly, where they're going to drink after all, they had clearly seen a body of water and then came and were highly disappointed to find it undrinkable. What do you want from them? Are they wrong to complain? But the second uh, second point here relates to the end of the parasha. It says, "Sham There he gave them a statute and a judgment and he tested them and he says, and if you listen to the voice of God and you do that which is right in his eyes or upright in his eyes and you listen to his mitzvot and you keep all of his statutes I won't put any of the diseases of Egypt or the makhalah. What is that all about? Is that to do with water? Why couldn't it have just ended with and he made the water sweet and the people drank? Maybe they would sing again in celebration of God. What is really happening in this parasha of Mara? Here I would like to turn to the comments of the Rashbam which I think are, are absolutely brilliant here. Um... The Rashbam notes that God does not get angry at all. God here, the people cry out for water. Moshe, actually the people, actually, they grumble and ask for water. Moshe cries out to God. God shows him the tree and there he gives them water. That's it. No anger at all. What exactly is happening here? The Rashban suggests that this was all a, a setup. This was all planned. This was choreographed by God. It was orchestrated by Him. He says, "Shamber mara alidei alilut He calls it an "alilut a fabrication of a test. "Ashesam la hatsmiyam lemayim v'achaken rifeil ohemet amayim hitzchil lochicham sheikabru alehem etachukim etamishpatim." He says at Mara, through the orchestration or fabrication of a test God induced them to thirst for water then he healed the water for them and he began to demonstrate to them that if they will keep the chukim mishpatim the statutes and judgments which he will teach he will provide their needs. What are we saying here? I believe that all of these stories that we see in Parashat bar are not stories where Am Yisrael can be particularly blamed. After all, we've just described B'nai Israel at this point, the Israelites at this point, as an immature nation, a nation who can't face their oppressors, a nation who lack the ability to go the long haul, who lack the ability to see what's going to be beyond the immediate. We can hardly blame Bnei Israel for wanting water after three days in the Midbar. Um, it's interesting that the next story where they request food actually has a date on that story. And the date is, It's actually a month after they've come from from Egypt. We can hardly blame Bnei Israel a month after they have left Egypt for desiring food. It is clear that they must have run out of their food supplies and are sorely in need of a, of a replenishment of their food and therefore their request for, for actual food in the second story is totally in place. HaKadosh Baruch Hu needs to provide something. When he provides them with the man, this is exactly what they need. So what I'm trying to say is that we actually see no anger by Hashem here. We see no, no anger. Hashem, in each case, puts them in a, situa- in a situation where where they need him. And then he provides for them. And slowly he is developing a relationship of dependency through food. Um, it's very, very interesting that later on in the Torah, in Parashat uh, HaAzinu, a phrase is used here, which I think is, is remarkable, where Hashem talks about the um, he says, "Yarkiveo abamote aretz, veo chalt nuvotsadai, veyenekehu divash misela, ve shemen me chalamishtzur. Now, Kodesh Baruchu, And lahanik is a sense of nursing the young, a mother nursing her children. Veyenekehu devash misela. God nursed them with honey from the rock, the shemen, and with, um, oil. Again, from the rock. Now, it's very interesting that in our parsha we will see water coming from a rock, but we will actually see the man, and the man is described here as, is, it is described in our parsha as having a taste of a, sort of a wafer in honey. The honey taste, which matches exactly the pasuk there, where we see, um, by misela, and it's interesting that later in Parshat Baha when we read about the man, there the man actually has a different taste, and we got we we get told the hayut leshad In other words, maybe what is being described here is almost like a ch- a child, an infant nursing from his mother, and we all know that the basic relationship between uh, an infant and its mother is, is very much developed through the process of breastfeeding HaKadosh Baruch Hu is undergoing that process of providing us providing us, providing B'nai Israel with our most fundamental needs of food and water in this parasha and this is cementing the relationship this is not cementing the relationship it's actually forming a relationship whereby we are now dependent on Hashem why does God make us request it? So that it will be more conscious. We will realize that we have a need. But then who provides that need? That need is provided by HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And therefore it is not incidental that our first story at Mara is a story about water. The second story which takes place in chapter 16 is the story of the man. It is a need for food. And the third story in Peret Yudzayin is a story about uh water once again. However, according to the Rashbam this does not uh, complete the structure that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is putting in place. Not only is God providing us our food needs, but he is also doing something else at the same moment. Again, I'll read the lines of the Rashbam He says, There at Mara, that he orchestrated the fact that we would be thirsty and then healed the water he started teaching us that if we keep the statutes and the judgments which he will teach us he will do their needs let's go back to Mara. In Mara, it says very clearly that God sweetened the waters and obviously then they could drink. But then it says, Sham samlochuk umishpat vasham nisahu. There he gave them a judgment and he gave them a statute. And we don't even know what this judgment or statute are exactly. We have, for example, Rashi, where Rashi says and tries to explain what these things are. He says, There we got Shabbat para aduma. And, Mishpatim. Where does he get this idea? Because we have to have the Chok, the Hokim that's the Para Aduma. We have to have the Mishpatim. And we also have, in this parasha, God relates to not only Chukim and Mishpatim, but he says, v'hazantala mitzvotav. So you need mitzvah Choko Mishpat. He says the mitzvah is Shabbat, which will be immediately relevant in the next story of the man. The Chok is the Para Aduma. And the judgments are societal laws, laws in order to govern probably the the, the, the camp as they go through the Midbar, um, laws to govern the interaction between different people. In other words, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is giving us our water, but at the same time he's saying, hey, I'm teaching you Torah. I'm teaching you Torah. I'm teaching you about Shabbat. I'm teaching you about Parah Duma. I'm teaching you about Mishpatim. Now, I don't know. I mean, Rashi hones in on particular particular mitzvot but we we don't really know what these mitzvot are we just see the line And I recall a story about uh, Rav Amital where Rav Amital told us that he once visited a secular kibbutz and was talking about Judaism to some of the kibbutznikim there he was asked to come and address the crowd. And uh, a certain lady there posed a question to him and she said, if I am trying to begin to take on Judaism, if I'm interested in living a more Jewish life, but I can't obviously keep an entire religious lifestyle, how should I begin keeping mitzvot? Where should I start? Rav suggested on the basis of this Rashi that this is what she should do. He said, number one, you've got to start keeping Shabbat in some way. Start keeping Shabbat. And then take one mitzvah you understand and one mitzvah that you don't understand. And that's how you start. And he explained, Shabbat, that's obviously the basis of Judaism, the Emunah in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Emunah in creation. This also regulates a week. But then you have to take one mitzvah you do understand and one mitzvah you don't understand, the Chok and the Mishpat. You have because, of course, Judaism, there are many things which are beautiful and rational, but there are always things which we have to accept just on the basis of obeying, on, on blind obedience. And therefore this, if you want, is the essence of Judaism. What we're saying is that at Marah, people already, the people were getting their first lesson in Torah Mitzvot, their first step into Judaism. They were getting their water, and along with that, they were getting Shabbat, Chok, Mishpat. They're finding their way in. How does it progress from here? In the next story, the people request. Um, the people request food, and what does the Kodesh Baruch Hu provide for them? He provides um, meat in the evening. That seems to have been a temporary thing while they were there. <laughs> And what did they find? They found the man. They get this special food called the man. So once again, God is providing their food needs. But what comes along with this? What comes along with these food needs is another mitzvah. And that mitzvah is the regulation of their week around Shabbat. For six days they gather the man. And on the sixth day they're very surprised to find what they call Lechem Mishneh. A double portion. And they come to Moshe and say, what's going on? And Moshe says to them, Hashem. That is what God told you. Shabbaton, Shabbat Machar. Tomorrow is a holy day, is a Shabbat, a day of rest, which maybe means quite a, quite a lot to slaves. You have to plan for this day, you have to bake, you have to cook. You can leave it all, but get ready for Shabbat. And, uh, what we see is in the second story, he teaches us, about Shabbat. How about the third story? Parakud Zion teaches us the story where Moshe hits the rock. The people ask for water, and the people argue with Moshe once again. Parakud Pasuk Bet, and say, Give us water we need to drink. And this is when um, we see the scene in which Moshe hits the rock. Now one might well ask, I understand what we're trying to suggest here. We're trying to suggest that each time God is providing them with their food needs, and at the same time teaching them Torah. At Marah, he teaches them Chok At Mishbat. Um, at the man, he teaches them about Shabbat. What does he teach them in the case of the water at the rock? But I think if we read carefully, and here is an idea that I heard from my teacher, Rav Menachem Liptag, um, we will also notice here a very, very strong connection to Torah. And let me try and explain what I mean. I don't know how you picture the scene with Moshe hitting the rock. I know that as a child, I imagined it um, as Moshe in front of a huge audience of the 600,000 Bene Israel, with this huge rock striking the rock and then a fountain of water comes out of the rock. But that is not how it happened. If you look carefully into Perik Zion you will see the following. Pass before the people. Take the elders with you. shehikita And take the stick with which you hit the river and go walk. Go take a hike. Where are we hiking to? This story takes place in in a place called Rufidim. But what, where's he walking to? He says, I'm going to wait for you there. Go walk all the way to the rock in Chorev. Which means, actually, Harsinai. And here there's a sense of irony because Harsinai's other name is Chorev. Chorev actually means a dry place. But he says, He hit the rock. Water will gush out. They ask King Moshe what we're suggesting is that the rock that Moshe hit was not in the center of the camp. The people stayed in the camp. Moshe walked up the wadi. And at the at the end of the wadi was a mountain, Har Sinai. And he hit the rock there and water came gushing out. The water came gushing out, made itself a river through the desert and flowed into the Israelite camp. And the people could drink. But later on, their next journey would be to Har Sinai. Imagine the people, as they walked along the path of the stream which was giving them the water they needed and when they reached the source, the source of the life-giving water was not only the source of their water but would become the source of their Torah. We know, by the way, from Sefer Devarim that there was a Nachal Hayored Minahar for those of you who want to reference. Um, it is in Devarim, um, Peret Tet, Pasuk Chafal of chapter 9, verse 21. We know there was water at Har Sinai. And uh, according to what it would appear in in Parakud Zion here in chapter 17, this is exactly what happened in the third story. God is not teaching them a new mitzvah. He's not teaching them a chok or a mishpat. He's not teaching them about Shabbat. But he is somewhat connecting them to the source of Torah, to to Har Sinai. So what I'm trying to claim is that Hakadosh Baruch Hu here is teaching Bnei Israel something. It is interesting that in each story here. One word which is repeated is the notion of a nisayon, a test. Sham samrochokum visham nisahu. Or for example, in the second case, in Perek tetzaim, pasuk, uh, dalad, it says, I'm gonna bring you the man, the lechem in the bread from heaven. Leman anasenu, so I will test you. What sort of test are we dealing with here? I don't think this is a test. I mean, you can have different types of tests. Sometimes I will put you in an exam hall and test if you, if you know the material that you should have learnt before. And therefore if you're not up to par, uh, if you don't know your stuff, you'll fail the test. A test might be a test of, of where I am now. But there is actually another type of test. Sometimes we can have testing situations, a testing situation at work, a testing situation in life, where we actually grow through the experience. I imagine that a, a soldier going through basic training in the Israeli army can't run his uh, 60 kilometers before he starts. He starts off, and maybe he's trained, and he can run five kilometers or 10. But the army are going to uh, teach him to be able to do more push-ups, to be able to do more sit-ups, to be able to run further. And therefore, basic training will be a testing situation which will help him grow. And we all have situations in life which are testing for us, and we feel that we weren't able to achieve a certain something beforehand, but once we've gone through that experience, we actually grow through the situation. In other words, a nisayon can be something which raises us, which expands us, which helps us grow. Maybe one of the elements of these stories of the latter half of B'Shalach is the sense that they actually help Am Yisrael develop. They aren't stories of grumbling, Akadosh Baruch Hu is leading the Jewish people through an educational process. He is showing them that they have needs and that God can take care of those needs. He is showing them that along with providing those needs, God has a code of law. It is called the Torah. It is His teaching. And if we are willing to do that teaching, God will continue to provide for us. And this is an Nisayon. This is a test in the sense that we are growing through the situation. It is a testing situation in that it challenges us, but that we emerge greater than when we came into this situation. Hakadosh Baruch Hu is taking an infant nation and is is raising us. He's teaching us. He is educating us. And this is the process that needs to happen. Am Israel are born when they when they come out of Egypt, and and God has to put us through a process which will help to teach us. And here I'd like to quote. Yet another midrash, um, which I think is is very poignant here. It's a midrash from the Mechilta here in Beshalach, where it says, um, because you remember that Beshalach opens and it says God could have taken us on a direct route, but He decided to take us on the roundabout route to Eretz Israel. And He says the, the midrash in the Mechilta here says, Lo Hu derech Eretz Yisrael God did not take us the direct route to Eretz Israel, but rather through the wilderness. Amara Baruch God said, If I will bring the Israelites into the land of Israel now, everyone will just take their field, they will seize their vineyard, but they will never have a connection to Torah. He says, I will take them through the wilderness for 40 years. They will eat the manna, and they will drink the water of the be'er. Torah will be absorbed into the very fabric of their bodies. And that way, they will absorb not only the man and the water, but they will absorb the Torah. And indeed, that is what is happening here. The final scene of Amalek is related to the previous three scenes very, very clearly. One way that it might be related is that uh, after receiving this flow of water, this uh, water source from Har Sinai, it could be that Amalek attack exactly to get the water. Water is a, a scarce commodity in the desert and it might be that they saw this fragile nation and said, well, you know what? We will take this water that we've found in the in the desert and it will be ours and that's why they attack. So that might be one cause, but there is some sort of debate as to how to view Amalek. Is it, as Rashi, Rashi suggests in one of his explanations, some sort of punishment? After all, in three ways God has provided through the water, through the food, through the water that he provides to them. Do Am Israel not appreciate it? How can they say, Hayesha Shem Bekirmenu how can they question God's assistance? Uh, maybe Amalek in some way is there to make them realize that God is really there for them. And that might be one way to look at it. But I think there is possibly a different way to look at it. After all, the parasha begins with an attack by an aggressor, Egypt. And it ends with a different attack by an aggressor. It ends with Amalek and, uh, I think there is a stark difference between the two stories, because in the first one, what does God say to them? Stand back. Don't do anything. You won't be capable of fighting. You aren't, you don't have the, the spine. You don't have the courage. You don't have the wherewithal to do anything. Hashem yilachem lachem. God will fight for you. God will fight. You stay quiet let it go and uh, sit back and watch the show that's what God that's what God says then what happens here with Amalek with Amalek Am Yisrael have to go out and fight go fight Amalek the people actually have to fight the people have the confidence to fight the people have the courage to fight. This is a, a new B'nai Israel, And I'd say more than that. Moshe stands on the hill and he lifts up his hands. And when his hands are lifted, When Moshe lifts up his hands, Am Yisrael um, succeed. And when he puts down his hands, they lose. Is this some magic of Moshe? That when Moshe's hands are up, we win? And when they're down, we lose. Of course, one might understand it that way. But the rabbis in the Mishnah refuse to understand it in that way. And they say that it is not Moshe's hands which make the difference, but that Moshe is almost like a conductor. He orchestrates Bnei Yisrael. And that when his hands are up, Bnei Yisrael's hearts are facing HaKadosh Baruch According to that Mishnah, in, in Masechet Rosh Hashanah, the Yadav Shal Moshe, Moshe's hands, are there in order to direct the hearts of Bene Israel. And here then, we view another stage in their education. Now Bene Israel are not passive. Now they are fighting aggressors in an active way. They're engaged in battle. But in the midst of battle, Moshe is showing them exactly where their source of strength come from. Just like the previous three stories where their food, and their water came from God now they're understanding that the wherewithal to fight their aggressors to fight their oppressors to fight their attackers now they can be active but lest they imagine that it is that it is their own strength which is fighting the war Moshe is there pointing heavenwards in order to remind them and in order to educate them that it is God's strength which is helping them win the battle against the people of Amalek. And here, the last sign is, It's it's not God doing miracles and wonders. Yoshua understands that it is his army who is defeating Amalek with the help of God. And it is only afterwards that they, Moshe makes them Mizbeach. Moshe dedicates the battle to God, but during the time when they're fighting, they fight like a regular army. But I think we've managed to prove is that Am Yisrael undergo a huge shift in this parasha. From a straggling slave nation who are too spineless to, to face their oppressors, Am Yisrael learn a different source of strength. That their connection, they don't need to wait for the jewels of Egypt. They don't need to be there um, trying to see Egypt as the source of their of, of their fortitude and their strength. Instead, they have to learn a new source of strength, and that source of strength is HaKadosh Baruch Hu. HaKadosh Baruch Hu provides for them. HaKadosh Baruch Hu provides their needs, and he also provides their way of life, the tempo of their week, their Shabbat, the regulation of their camp, the Chok or Mishpat, and also the way that he will support them in their battles, a battles which are going to be very important later in the conquest of Eretz Yisrael. Thank you very much and Shabbat Shalom.